Hello and welcome to another episode of Woman Advantage. I am very excited to have Laura Saba, better known as The Active Stick, here with me today. Laura, how are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, I'm, I know we were talking uh, before we started recording about how um, we're recording this in the middle of a pandemic and things are a little bit strange. So I personally am excited to talk about hockey again. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. It's been very strange because they pause the season at this point. It's been it's been a little over a week, so people are still getting used to their new routines. And my new routine apparently involves rearranging everything in my apartment because I don't like the way it looks. And then 30 seconds later, hating the way it looks and rearranging it all back. Yeah, yeah. I've deep cleaned my bathroom three times at this point, which is absolutely absurd. But I've just, it's just, I'm like, oh, but I could clean it again. I don't need to do that. But, you know, it's, it's, it's good that we're finding ways to fill the time. Exactly. And not going and infecting other people. Exactly. If this comes out and we are still, you know, self-isolating um, people, I encourage you to listen to this uh, alone, six feet apart from people. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So I will jump right in with my favorite. I call it a softball question. How did you get into hockey? Well, I live in Montreal. I am a Montrealer now. Uh, my family immigrated a long time ago. And I didn't get into hockey immediately, but I know that a lot of uh, first and second generation immigrants find that hockey is a really good way to become part of the community in Canada, especially. Uh, I did not actually care that much until um, there was a game between the Montreal Canadiens and the Ottawa Senators and the Canadiens captain who had been dealing with, with cancer and uh, was finally in remission and it took a while you know, for him to get back to, up to playing shape and he was finally given the green light to come back. So that was the first game that I ever watched and it was an extremely emotional experience. And I didn't really know anything about hockey but I thought it was very magical and I got really caught up in the emotion of it and that was kind of like, my gateway to sports as well, not just hockey. That's awesome. I I love <laughs> that. I feel like so many people who don't have like a childhood connection to sports have those kind of wonderful stories about what brought them in. And it's not usually the sport itself. It's like some emotional like part of the game. And that's wonderful. I love that. <laughs> it's honestly like people look at sports as an escape and sometimes we we've talked about this like in the community as well which i'm sure we'll get to in the in, in this episode sometimes people take it a little bit too seriously but i think the place of sports in culture kind of has a similar place that you know like art would as well it's something that's that involves a lot of skill it involves people getting involved and have and having an emotional investment it means different things to different people but at the end of the day, it's also just fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's fun, but it's it's something that you're emotionally invested in, and however you get invested in it is like, that's your story in sports, and I love that. But beyond just like being a fan of hockey, you are very involved in the online hockey community, particularly on Twitter. <laughs> um, you know, what was kind of the yeah. catalyst that got you more involved on the kind of internet side of it? Well. I started out like I would watch hockey and I think this might be a common experience with uh, maybe hockey fans that aren't necessarily like, you know, men or male or, or, you know, cis male or whatever. <laughs> I think that like you don't necessarily feel 
it's kind of like having imposter syndrome. Like when you want to talk about hockey, you often feel like people discount your opinion, disregard it, disrespect it, don't count, don't count it very much. And so I think that until I started talking about it online, I started reading about it online first. And then until I started talking about it online, I didn't realize that not everybody was like that. And that the great thing about social media is you can kind of create your own community. You curate who you follow and who you talk to, what you read and, and, and the kind of people that you reach out to and become friends with. And that kind of, it changed everything because I had always wanted to write about hockey and I always felt that I would, you know, not, not necessarily be laughed at, but I would be talking into the void or even worse, people would make my, my experience of fandom become something I didn't want to be associated with anymore. So I, I wanted to start a blog and just sort of try to be silly and funny and light about hockey, but also like legitimately talk about games and, and, and trades and transactions and things like that. And so I started a blog and then I started a Twitter account to associate with that blog. And at the beginning, so my username has always been the active stick. It's something like one of those hockey cliches that Pierre Maguire and, and <laughs> I guess, I don't know, does Doc Emmerich use it? But uh, it's used a lot and hockey doesn't really mean anything. It just uh, essentially, you know, people use it a lot to mean something to, to, to talk about basically like being involved in a game, like an active stick. It's like you could, you could use it when you're defending, when you're, when you're on the forecheck or whatever. So I just kind of took it. And then I had like a, I didn't have my name up on first at the beginning because, you know, 10 years ago, internet, you're a woman, you don't want, uh, it's, it's still a dangerous place to be a woman, but at that time, it was even, I think, a little bit, um, I was a little bit more cautious. And I also uh, didn't have, like, my profile picture was sort of, it was, I don't know, like, maybe the Canadian's logo or something. I have no idea at the beginning. But I, I did, uh, I worked really hard to make sure that at the beginning, you couldn't tell if I was, like, where I was from or if I was a woman or a man or just, you know, I just wanted to talk about hockey. And that honestly helped me a lot because I was able to navigate the internet without being chased off of it early on. And I was able to sort of withstand as I slowly and gradually started to reveal, started to reveal bits of myself on there. It helped a lot that like I already had an established, um, not, not necessarily falling, but like, a like support, I would say. Yeah. Being a woman on the internet is still terrifying. I think it is slightly <laughs> less terrifying these days just because it seems like people are better at calling out some of the sexism, but it's, yeah, it can be really scary. So I definitely understand why you started as the active stick, no name, <laughs> yeah. um, but kind of on the topic of your social media, you are very active on Twitter and you have a really big following on the site. What do you think has been the key to your social media success? I think the biggest thing, honestly, and and I've changed a lot now. So if you met me in person now, you would never believe this of me. But when I was first, you know, talking about this on Twitter, blogging, I was a very shy person. And so I found a lot of comfort into finding like-minded people and talking to them. And I feel like a big thing is I'm... I try to be as genuine as possible without being too much information, without giving away too much information. I try to be really genuine. And I also try to 
afford the people that I might disagree with, but also don't think it's, it's, it's weird to explain. Like, so like if I think if I disagree with your opinion on hockey, but I know that you're a decent human being, I'm not about to get into a fight with you, you know, and it's totally different than trying to talk about social issues and and political issues and stuff like that, because I'm very vocal on that stuff as well. But the good thing about about being on Twitter is that when you engage with people, you can choose you can choose to engage with the people that you know you can have a dialogue with. And I think that's helped a lot. And also just just don't be an asshole, you know? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I try to not be an asshole, but sometimes it's really hard for me. <laughs> Yeah. And, and I mean, especially like, you know, we're sports fans, we're women and we talk about stuff that matters to us. And a lot of that is, is, is social issues and social justice issues. And, and that always invites often dangerous stuff. Like usually it's stuff that it's just like, it's stuff that you don't, you wish wasn't, wasn't there, you know, like sometimes people will come back to me about my opinions and I'll be like, I wish there were not there. There weren't people in the world that thought this way. You know, <laughs> how can you have so little empathy? And so uh, another thing that I've realized also is you have to kind of know where you're wrong and where you should allow other people to guide you and inform you. Kind of knowing when to fold your hand and admit that your opinion on something is not necessarily correct or like is harmful to other people is a really important step to just growing as a person. Yeah. So the the internet's not necessarily a great place for personal growth. A lot of people tend to just <laughs> ignore when their people don't don't agree with them and I think that you are one of the people who has been a really good model for how to one use your platform for good, two use your platform to be fun <laughs> and Three, <laughs> use your platform to show personal growth. I think that that's really important as somebody who has, you know, a lot of followers in the hockey community and is a woman to show that, you know, you are both smart and like funny and understand that you aren't always right. <laughs> right. And that's the thing, too. It's like, you know, I, I think at this point I've been on Twitter for a little over 10 years. I think it would be September or something. I got, you know, that that whole like you've been on for, mm -hmm. for 10 years. And over that time, like my opinion and my, my personality has grown a lot. I don't always have the answers. And there have been situations where I was absolutely in the wrong and not realizing that I was causing more harm than help. And so it took a while for me to understand that just because like, it doesn't mean that I'm not smart. If I'm wrong does not mean I'm not smart. It just means that in a certain area, I might not have all the answers and I just need to shut up and listen. And, uh, you know, people like to say, stay in your lane. It's something that's really important because I always used to think, for example, it's it's so black and white. I'm a woman and, and, and that's it. And, and I didn't learn about intersectionality at the beginning. And I had to sort of have an open mind and listen and realize, yes, I'm wrong. But there's nothing wrong with being wrong as long as you take steps to do good, to be better. And you can't just say, I'm going to be better. You have to say, okay. I, I did not even consider this point of view. I did not think of how I was hurting somebody. I need to sit down. I need to go and think about this. I need to find the answers for myself. It's not anybody's job to teach me. And just, I think the, the biggest part is accepting that you're wrong or that you don't have the answers. Once you do that, everything else is easy. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
in that vein, kind of, you have also been, you know, vocal on Twitter about your own, you know, personal struggles and some more personal details about your life that can be kind of challenging. And you've also been a light on Twitter during some dark times, current times included. Kind of what's driven you to open up parts of yourself that you would not necessarily have considered when you first started doing what you're doing? I think a large part of it is realizing that vulnerability is not weakness. And it's also learning. It took a while uh, at the beginning to learn that a lot of people in our community specifically found each other because we have similar struggles or we've had similar experiences, or we'll be able to understand where each person comes from. And I think that for me, like there's no reason for me to hide that I've had mental health issues or, or things like that, because I know that if, if we accept that as being part of being human and there's, you know, people still talk about, oh, I don't think that there's a stigma attached to mental illness anymore. I don't think that's true because if it weren't true, then institutionally, like it would be life, it would be a lot easier to get help and get care. Mm -hmm. And we're not at that point, not even, you know, I live in Canada, which is known as one of, you know, the leaders in like healthcare and stuff like that around the world. And, and uh, I guess social aspects of it. Um, and people always looked at us and be like, oh, you know, you have good mat leave policies, you have universal healthcare and things like that. And it's like, but that's not where it stops. I think the, the evidence is that so many people are not able to get access to care that they might need and access to help that they might need. And I also think that for me, you know, we mentioned personal growth earlier if I was not able to get help, I don't think that I would have been able to grow over time and become a better person. Like I look at myself even, you know, two years ago and I'm a completely different person. Even last year and I'm a completely different person. And when I say that, I don't mean like I've changed completely. I think like my perspective and the way that I, that I treat people is different and hopefully it's, it's for the better. And I think that like, honestly, the biggest thing is that we have to realize that if we're vulnerable, it's more likely to help other people than to hurt ourselves. Yeah, that's that's such a good way to think about it. I know for me personally, I've I've tried to be more open about my own, you know, issues with mental health, but I grew up in a uh, very Catholic family where vulnerability was not seen as, you know, a something that you did. <laughs> it's it absolutely. Yeah, it's like that John Mulaney, uh Mulaney bit. He's like uh, I'm Irish, so we don't talk about our feelings. We bury them up right here, and then one day we'll die. <laughs> and and so for for me, seeing someone like you who's so open about your own struggles, it makes me feel like it's it's slightly easier to open that door for myself and to try to be that you know that person who helps someone else open that door. Honestly, it means so much to hear that because I mean, my family is not Catholic, but we are immigrants. So there's a lot of similarity. Mm -hmm. I mean, people like I'm, I'll say my background is Lebanese and, and Armenian. And, and so our, our cultures are, are known as being very emotional and very exuberant and very open, but not necessarily about the specific struggles that I've dealt with in my life. And so I kind of understand that, hor that, 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 that feeling where like, oh, it's just not done. You know, you just bottle mm -hmm. it up or, or you talk about other things. And I think that probably uh the first person who reached out to me is it like and and made me feel like oh this is normal it's okay everybody goes through things like this 
it might be different things, but we all go through stuff. We all have stuff, right? Like, and that doesn't make you, that doesn't mean anything is wrong with you. It just means that the way that you navigate life is different and that you might need a different kind of approach whenever, like in whatever you're doing. Right. And so I think just realizing that, and, and, it, and, and it's so, it's so interesting to me that you say that it's like we have completely different backgrounds, but we've had similar experiences for different reasons. Yeah. Yeah. I think that kind of Twitter and the internet and just like social media in general allows for people to realize that just because you have a specific, you know, upbringing or background doesn't mean someone else hasn't had incredibly similar like emotional experiences because we all like all cultures are relatively similar on like in some respects, right? Like everyone is built around humans and human connection. And if you have trouble forming human connection in the way that's typical of your cultural upbringing, then you feel like an outsider. And so I feel like Twitter has become a place where, you know, people who feel like they're a little bit of outsiders in like whatever respect of their life can come together and we can all form our little community. (laughs) That is absolutely true. And also as far as like being a light, I think I'm really lucky in that I... I think, you know, I, I, I kind of like it's it's not narrow mindedness or like or, or or tunnel vision or whatever. But I think for me, I know that like when I am dealing with particular amounts of anxiety, for example, or if there's something that I'm going through, I know that I need a specific thing. And that is some positivity. And it, it might not work for everybody. But I think you know what, if this helps me, then maybe it'll help one other person out there. And if it helps one other person, then it's worth it to sending it out to thousands, you know? And so that's why I think, you know, like sometimes you just, you need somebody to say a kind word to you, or sometimes you really just need a really stupid pun that is so obvious and you see it and it just makes you laugh for two days. (laughs) And and if if I'm experiencing that, then I want to share with other people too. And and I think that that really that really helps because just as you know, one solution doesn't work for everybody. The fact that like that that might be true, but that doesn't mean that we can't try and help as many people as possible. And it's always important to acknowledge, you know, here's my experience, and this is what worked for me. I don't think that my experience necessarily will exactly be the way that you understand something or that you are helped by something. But just because it helped me, I'm going to put it out there and maybe it'll help you. And if not, maybe you'll pass it on to somebody else. But in the meantime, maybe somebody else will tell you something that will help you or share their experience in a way that will help you. And so I feel like it's, it's a responsibility to all of us if we're going to be part of a part of society, not just to, amplify and and uplift people who are trying to do good but also like check in on each other and see like is there a way that my experiences are going to make your life easier on you yeah that's that's exactly it I think that's just a good way to sum up kind of what it's like to be human (laughs) (laughs) Um, so we're going to take a hard turn here (laughs) and (laughs) away from kind of you know some of the we're, this episode's a sandwich. We got deep at the front, and then we're gonna, you know, talk a little bit of lighter stuff in the middle, and then we're gonna deep at the end. So we're reaching the, the <laughs> middle of the podcast where um, we're gonna talk about your experience as the co-host on the Locked On Canadians podcast. Kind of, you know, what's that been like for you? It's honestly, I'm gonna straight up say it. You can't 
if you're part of this, if, if you, if you want to do anything in sports or hockey or even in any industry, especially as a woman, you need to truly be treated as an equal and not by people who just um, pay lip service to the concept of it, but actually and legitimately like treat you as a partner and an equal. And I'm, I've been very lucky with, with this because there are so many people out there that we will encounter throughout our lives, whatever our careers are, uh, and often in other areas as well, where people, like you'll see it's the person that's like so the most vocal about equality and feminism and all of that. And then it's not true in their actions. And so I have been so fortunate and, and I did have a little bit of a hand in this. I'll be really honest. The way that it started out was I was approached by Sean Woodley, who is sort of like the executive producer of all the hockey podcasts. And he came to me and he said, I know you have an experience as a producer. How would you like to be a host? And there was some back and forth. And he truly internalized my concerns and addressed them. Like when we were first talking, when they were recruiting me and and I really like that. And then I said, you know, like a lot of you'll notice a lot of the podcasts have just one host and then a lot of them will have a co-host. One of the ones on the Hockey Network actually has three hosts, which is it's really interesting. I have no idea how they do it without talking over each other. I'm sure they edit it <laughs> a lot. But, um, you know, like there I know that there was a concerted effort to hire people who wouldn't necessarily be considered and because most of the time in sports, people will consider somebody who looks like them and reminds them of themselves, thinking that that means that they're they're talented or good or the best person for the position. And that's not necessarily true. So when I saw that the net was cast far and wide, like truly looking for diverse voices who may not have had an opportunity in the past, I thought that was that was something that made me feel really great about it. And then when we talked about having a host, because it is, it's five days a week and I have a day job. And so when, when we thought of that idea, I was asked to come up with some names that I would feel comfortable working with. And I gave up a list, I gave a, a list of names, pros and cons. And I thought the person that I most want to work with is Scott. And the reason is, is because I've worked with Scott before. And in my experience, especially if you're, if you're a woman, like a lot of times you'll be doing a lot more of the work and getting a lot less of the the credit for it. And, and in, in this case, it has not been like that at all. We both try very hard to respect each other's lives and uh, respect each other's opinions and, and goals for the show and, and all of that. And I, I truly feel like I'm an equal partner. Like I, I don't ever feel like I'm doing more of the work. I don't ever feel like I'm being overshadowed. I always feel like my voice is heard. And even if we disagree, but I also think that that comes with, if you're going to work with somebody who like specifically um, in my situation, you know, a white guy, like I'm, I'm going to straight up say it, you know, it's a podcast with a white guy on it, but one of the things that I've heard and I really have appreciated as well is just he doesn't take himself seriously. And he also we were talking earlier about like, you know, you're not always right. And, you know, you're not you don't always have the answers and you're going to listen. And a lot of times social issues have come up in the hockey, you know, in, in hockey news or the hockey community. And he'll say, I'm going to take a step back and I'm going to let you talk because you are more qualified or you have more knowledge about this. Nobody wants to hear my opinion. I'm a white guy who's not affected by this. And just that fact, the fact that he knows that to me, it, it, it's, 
like I wouldn't still be doing this. We've been doing this for almost an entire season now. I would have quit, you know, two weeks in or something. And, and I just find that you have to have somebody who respects you as an equal and who doesn't take themselves so seriously that they're so focused on, like they can't let, let go. They, they, they won't, they can't allow you to grow because they feel threatened by it. Yeah. I, I realized that, um, we were recording without video and I was nodding vigorously through all of that. So <laughs> just wanted to, <laughs> so I was, I was affirming what you were saying. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's awesome. And I've, I've been on your podcast a couple of times and you and Scott are wonderful. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about kind of what the Locked On Podcast Network, especially with the hockey shows, seems to have done. Whereas you mentioned, you know, casting a really wide net. It does seem like that net was cast wide enough that it's not just a bunch of white guys who already have podcasts, although some of them are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. And, and it, you know, you kind of have to appreciate that a lot of times it's not necessarily the lack of availability, but also the lack of willingness. Like, why, as a woman, would you put yourself out there to get constantly abused by anybody who's listening to your opinion? Because there are people out there who don't want to share. They, they don't want you in the community, and they'll do everything they can to force you out and drive you out. So even though you might be an amazing podcast host and might have the time and willingness to do it, you might not come forward because of your past experiences. And so that's something where... I, I think that the network has done a really good job of trying to be supportive of the existing hosts, but also just the fact that they went out and looked and tried really hard to find people who might be who who might be a possibility and tried, you know, they they tried really hard. And it's always up to the person themselves. Like you can't you can't fault somebody for saying, I don't want to deal with this, like this is not good for my health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And since it's an everyday podcast. I, I'd imagine that it can be really challenging to feel like you are allowed to take a break because you guys need to have episodes for, you know, every day, even through, you know, the no games in whatever we're calling this. <laughs> I almost call it an intermission. That is not what we're going through right now. It's a suspension of the season right now. It's not an intermission. It is not a break in a hockey game. No. Yeah. Um, but you you and Scott bring a very different energy to a hockey podcast um, and it's delightful to listen to. Um, I've really enjoyed, you know, the funny episodes you guys have done, especially like it's been delightful. <laughs> well, now that the season is, you know, in suspension or, or whatever it is, the pause, we're going to call it. We've, well, we've actually had been toying with ideas throughout the season of what we can do in the off season. Like, oh, this would be a good thing for the off season. And so thankfully, you know, I, I kind of, I like this better because the Canadian season wasn't going very well. So we've got the opportunity to do things that are more fun and it's coming. We've got so many plans. It's just been a little bit crazy the first couple of weeks, especially for Scott, because he is the beer guy at a grocery store, but he's been pulled from his job because of, you know, the pandemic mm-hmm. is causing mass panic. And so he's been helping out in uh, other departments. And so, you know, he's he's honestly like, we're trying to take it easy for the first couple of weeks until those things, until he has more energy to devote to more fun stuff. But the fun stuff is coming, I promise. Yeah, yeah. You guys, again, I'm I like knowing that you kind of picked Scott yourself because you guys have it, it makes sense now because you two had such like a good dynamic from the start because I came on relatively early in the season yes. for the first episode and you guys already kind of had a really good rhythm 
So that, you know, that context actually makes sense for me now. Um, but it's it's really great to hear that, you know, you can, you know, kind of trust the network that you're, you know, working for essentially or working with. Exactly. To, to be supportive of you and the show that you two have curated. Um, and you guys are doing a great job. So <laughs> thank you. Well, you know, now that now that there's no season and we are less uh, bound by the schedule, we will be calling on you more. <laughs> I hope you're ready. I will be here. <laughs> I'm just I'm self-isolating. I'll be here. <laughs> so we kind of touched on this a little bit at you know, the beginning, but being a woman on Twitter can suck. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. What are some ways that you, you know, you deal with the the shitty parts of Twitter? Oh, absolutely. Preventative action. As soon as I find somebody following me and, uh, you know, like you'll, you'll get the notification and the notification will have their bio in it. I will do immediate blocks of anybody that I can tell. Like, I'll go look at their timeline and I'm like, yeah, I, I don't want you in my area. <laughs> I don't want you in my <laughs> sphere. So I'll just block liberally. Absolutely. And one thing that's really, really important, and I find that Twitter isn't great at this because we've all had experiences where we've tried to report people and things like that. They won't necessarily suspend or delete accounts that are abusive they'll say like you know this this didn't uh what is it conform this didn't um violate our rules or something like violate and and so a lot of the times um a really important thing to do is just report them anyway because eventually if you overload with reports the person will get blocked or suspended for for at least uh, a short period of time and the other thing is that's really important is um telling each other about stuff. Like if I notice you interacting with somebody that I know has been harmful to myself or somebody else, I'll just like slip you a DM and be like, Hey, that person, just so you know, that kind of thing. So I feel like the, the, we call it a whisper network, Mm -hmm. I guess, standing up for each other, but also it's just so important for me, um, just to prevent people from being able to talk to me. Like if you're going to start arguing with me and abuse me, I will block you. I will tell people to, to report you and I will not engage because I know that it's not in good faith. If you truly disagree with me, the abuse, it wouldn't be abuse that you're throwing my way. You would be having a discussion. So a lot of times it's a matter of identifying people are just there to bring you down, to scare you off, to, to threaten you. And that's just something where I'm like, I'm merciless about it. Like I have absolutely no empathy for somebody who comes in and you know, truly it's because it's because you're a woman or it's because you're a person of color or whatever. And all they're trying to do is drive you away. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's so many people on the internet who it feels like they just exist to, you know, make people feel bad and make people feel not welcome. And I've, I've gotten a lot better at one blocking people <laughs> and and two I'm um, kind of using like you mentioned the whisper network like using my network to be like hey this person is super shitty and sometimes it's just having them report it and sometimes it is some of my my male friends deciding that that person was being exceptionally terrible and you know like berating them which I don't necessarily condone but I also appreciate the thought <laughs> yeah oh yeah absolutely and sometimes it'll be stuff where like they won't listen to you but they'll listen to the other person just because they're a man Mm -hmm. and as frustrating as that is sometimes just 
to get them to go away and to get them to leave your friends alone? Because for me, it's like, if, if you're trying to get into it with me, I'm just going to block you. But if you're going to start harassing my friends, like that for me is a problem. And that's when you'll call in your, yeah. your, your, uh, reserves. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, to use a baseball metaphor, you hits the bottom of the ninth and you just need a closer. So you, so you call in the closer. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> How do you think hockey can be more inclusive? I think it's at all levels. I think a common answer to this question is you need more people in uh, positions of power or leadership positions that aren't white male, who, white men who played the game. I think that's very true. Mm-hmm. But I also think that it starts from, from, from both sides, from the ground up and from the top down, because there are decisions that are get, getting made by people who are in positions of power. I guess if you think of hockey as an institution, that a lot of times the fact that there's no person of color in a room, there's no non-binary person in the room, there's no there's nobody uh, who doesn't look like everyone else in the room to mm-hmm. say, hey, that's actually a really bad idea. And so a lot of times I feel like hockey's attempts to reach out and be inclusive are very clumsy and it comes off as not genuine. And people can see through that. Like if you're, if you're sort of throwing it out kind of like tokenism or uh, just sort of, you know, slapping on some words or something like that and, and not actually, it's not coming truly like through action. People can see right through that. People aren't stupid. And a thing that I think needs is, is so important is that, Right now, I don't even know if this is right now because I wrote this like, I think five or six years ago, I wrote an article about how to appeal, uh, how, how to uh, get more, more women involved in hockey. And it was stop trying to appeal to them because things like, oh, a woman's night where like somebody's going to explain hockey rules to you is like, it's not going to help anybody when 40% of your fan fandom is made up of women, you know, 40% of the people that are buying your stuff. And, I, and that's why I said, because I wrote this six years ago, like it could be even more now. Like at the time there were studies that were 35 to 40% of, of, of uh, fan bases for the NFL, for hockey. And I want to say Major League Baseball or soccer. I can't remember. It was one of them. But I know I, I feel like baseball is probably more uh, overwhelmingly male, but I'm not sure. But so they had like the breakdown. Like it was it was a I found a paper that somebody had done for I think it was the University of Maryland I can't remember but I do remember I cited it in the article that I wrote and it was like I saw this and I was like wow because if 35 35 to 40% of your fan base is made up of women but when you're when you're participating when you're taking part when you're attending games when you're trying to be a fan of the sport it feels like actually 95% is made up of men there's something wrong there. And so I think that a lot of times like people, like the people in positions of power kind of trying to make decisions without going blind, you know, like they they don't ask women what we need Mm -hmm. and then they make the decision for us. And so what do women need? Women need to be more supported when they go to games, for example, women need more, uh, like when, when you talk about being more inclusive, it doesn't mean making a pink Jersey or, you know, like whatever it is, like their idea of fashion for, 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 um, for just like, you know, like anything that you could buy trinkety crap that you buy, Mm -hmm. uh, like in support of your, of your, of your, of your team, 
they have to think about, is my environment welcoming to women? Are the jokes that we're making on our broadcasts welcoming to women? Are the things that we have in place at games, are they welcoming to women? Are we sending a clear message to our fan base that we will not uh, accept people being racist, people being sexist, people abusing other people? And I think a lot of the times the idea is there, the execution is terrible. And because the execution is so terrible, you wonder if the effort is there. And at the same time, I said that like that's from the top mm-hmm. level, like from the bottom up, like you and me as fans, I think, you know, how would we feel more welcome? And it's if other people who are part of the majority make it clear that they want to include us as well. So like we just talked about how like, you know, you have your army of people that'll come and help if you need it. We need, for example, like white guys to be like, you can't be making those vaguely racist jokes, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, it might not be blatant. I feel like everybody jumps on you if you're blatant, but then if it's something that's like, you know, just a little bit like people like, what is the big deal? I think it, it needs to be straight white men that are like, Hey, that's wrong. That's not okay. It can't just be me saying you can't say that. And I think a big part of it has to be like, as, as fans in general, we need to adjust our behavior. We need to amplify people of color. We need to amplify women. We need to amplify people who are non-binary and we need to, we also need to call people out. So like a lot of times I find, especially in the discourse, it's like, it's like people will jump in and say, this is how I think we should fix it. But you're not listening to the people. They don't want you to say how you think you should fix it. We want you to go to the person who's causing the problem and tell them, like, support what we're saying to them, if that makes sense. It's, it's hard to explain. Like, I've, I tried to think about this before, uh, before formulating my sentences, and I feel like I'm just I'm rambling a little bit. Like, it can't just be it can't just be like we're out there just talking, you know. People need to be listening to us and the right people need to be supporting us. And I think a lot of times people think their support means that they take their place of privilege and then talk back to you or talk to other people without considering what you think uh, should be done. And I think people should use their privilege differently. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a lot more about kind of amplifying the voices and helping to get those not just concerns, but also solutions because so often like on this podcast i've you know had some really great discussions with people about just like small changes that could be made from like instead of selling women only rhinestone pink jerseys just making a slightly different cut of the official jersey and seeing how that sells because we have no way of knowing if well we know i own a bunch of jerseys and they're all men's because the women's just don't look real and so it's like getting those things as far to the top as you can by using your platform to help amplify the voices of the people who are, you know, coming up with the solutions. Right, exactly. And I also think that something like a woman's night is not necessarily out of place. It's just how you go about it. Mm-hmm. Like a woman's night should be like a night where like the proceeds from your game will go to, go to causes that we care about, causes where like maybe it's a scholarship to for somebody to work in sports management, you know, things like that. Like we have that in science. A lot of times like now people are, are sort of setting things up where you want to op- like break down barriers, but also afford opportunities for people who can't make it. Right. So I don't think that women's nights are necessarily a bad thing. I just think that the energy 
is misdirected. Like it's not about trying to appeal to women in the way that you think should in a marketing way. It's like, what can I do in a concrete way to make this more inclusive and to help elevate people to a position where they might not necessarily be afforded the opportunity otherwise. And it's usually because like they feel that they're not welcome. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And that, that kind of leads me into, um, my, my next question, which is how do we get more women involved in hockey? And I'm talking like from the bottom up or the top down kind of, however, however we can get more women involved and like visible in the game so that it doesn't seem like hockey is 95% white men. I think that people need to, at the top level, it's really simple. I think people need to open up the field to more candidates. I don't think that the the problem is not that there aren't qualified candidates. I think the problem is that they're not being considered. Like, I, I feel like the first full-time uh, OHL scout that is a woman, like, that only happened, like, what, like, a couple weeks ago? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, you know what I mean? Like, it like it's... 2020 and are you trying to tell me that there are no women out there who don't who who know enough about hockey to be able to scout players like you know what I mean like it just does not make sense and so you kind of sometimes you kind of have to acknowledge that a person might not necessarily be part of the institution already because of all the barriers Mm -hmm. uh, that have you know that they've encountered But that doesn't mean they don't know what they're talking about. So I feel like also the hiring practices might need to be a bit different. And it should be not what have you done, but show me what you can do. And that's two different things. Mm -hmm. And I feel like instead of a hiring process, it's more of an audition process. And that's fair. And, 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 you know, take, sometimes it takes more time, but just because you used to play hockey with that guy, mm-hmm. like, you know, 30 years ago, doesn't necessarily mean, and you think he's a good guy. Cause you like went out for beers together after the games or whatever. Doesn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily mean that they're the right person for the job. I think you need to be like, okay, I, you don't have the qualifications on paper, but you're telling me that you're good enough to do this. All right, let's talk about what your ideas are. Let's talk about how, what your process is. Let's see you in action. And then, then I'll make my decision because you have to acknowledge that there have been barriers and you can't just say, well, that's the way it is. There have been barriers. So there are no women candidates. That is not true. You have to change the way that you do things. Mm -hmm. And I think that that that's the first step. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it, it's so much of that. And it's also helping the people at the top understand that there are so many transferable skills. Like you can teach somebody hockey but it takes like there's people who have spent a lifetime doing, you know, data data analysis or doing marketing in a non-sports field or doing so many different things that could transfer to like a career in hockey or, you know, whatever. And people are like, well, no, you don't have any sports experience and that's what we need. And that's that's really frustrating because it seems like the people with sports experience do tend to be the people who were kind of given that leg up because they did play with so-and-so or their uncle is so-and-so or their dad is, you know, whoever. And that's very frustrating. Oh, absolutely. And it often makes it feel like there's no way that we're ever going to see progress. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's the worst part is that you look at it and you're like, I want to do this, but there's no way I'm going to break into the industry. And all we need is one person, two people. When I said one person and I'm like, 
well, we're talking about like how the Leafs are starting to hire more women in, in, in the front office and stuff. And, and it's still not, it, it, it's not a domino effect. And I honestly thought that it might be, but I think you need more people as an institution. It took the first person to do it and then they just need to put more weight behind it. Mm-hmm. And then now we're hopefully seeing with Seattle, yes. they seem to be trying to do things differently. Uh, but it remains to be seen, right? Like they're, they're, they're not even a, a hockey team yet. They're just an organization mm-hmm. now. Uh, but it's interesting. And the problem is right now, Seattle's doing this and everybody's like, oh, they're trying to make a splash before they come into the league. It's going to take a couple of years before you see the fruits of that labor. And I think, you know, they've been doing so many things right. I feel like hiring the right people, saying the right things, but it's going to be an expansion team. So if they come out and they don't have a first season like Vegas, mm-hmm. everybody's going to be like, oh, it's because they put a lot of, you know, a whole bunch of women in the front office. People aren't going to realize that it's because this is usually the way expansion teams kind of work. And so it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So you need more people to, to be that way, to be like, you know what? I'm going to be more diverse in my hiring practices right now. I have, I don't know how many people on staff and it's not about like hiring a guy and hire and, 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 you know, sorry, firing Mm -hmm. a guy just to hire a woman. It's not how it works, but you know, you lose, you lose parts of your workforce to attrition, like all the time, people will move on to other jobs, positions will change. And then, so the next time there is a vacant position, you just have to change the way that you hire people. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, I'm I'm already dreading if Seattle has a bad first season or bad couple first seasons because people are going to hold that up as an argument for women can't work in sports or women can't do what that front office is doing. And you never see that with a man who failed. Like men who exactly. fail don't represent all men, but women who, who fail or aren't as successful as, you know, people want them to be represent all women. And that's very frustrating. Oh my God. And, and that's, and that's also a problem that we have, you know, as, as people who are vocal about even just our opinions, if we say one wrong thing, mm-hmm. it means all women don't know about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't, don't know anything to do with whatever it is, you know? And, and I, I have that on the podcast so many times. I had this conversation actually with another lockdown host and the conversation was kind of like, it was a private conversation, but the one thing that um, we talked about was how much preparation we do for a half hour daily show that we are sure that our, uh, you know, mostly male counterparts don't have to do like they just log on and start shooting the shit. And we have to like triple check stats because we want to talk about a player and we might not even talk about the player, but we need to have everything written down because if we say the wrong thing on the show, you know, you're going to get so many things about like, and this is why women shouldn't talk about hockey, you know? Yeah. It's, the worst (laughs) Um, (laughs) and kind of on that you know really really happy note um (laughs) do you have any advice for women who are trying to get started in in hockey just you know kind of doing what you were doing you know any of that I honestly I can't speak to like stats and data analysis Mm -hmm. even though I feel like that's something that you can have more concrete steps Right. Mm -hmm. You can say you need to learn about coding. Mm -hmm. You need to learn about like that kind of stuff. If you don't, I will say that the first thing that I would do is the exercise where would I 
would I hesitate to do this or say this if I were a man? I think that is, that's an exercise that you constantly have to perform in your head. Um, and it's, it's, it's like asking for a raise, you know, like you think about it and you're like, oh, I don't want to ask for too much. And then if you put yourself in the shoes of a white guy, he's not even going to think twice about that. He's going to be like, this is what I want. Mm -hmm. So this is what I'm going to ask for it. Mm -hmm. And you kind of have to approach hockey kind of the same way. You can't, um, because you have to be ready for people to question your judgment every step of the way, to question your knowledge, your legitimacy as a fan every step of the way. But if you feel confident in your opinion, you need to always do that exercising. Like, would I hesitate about saying this or doing this if I were a man? That's the first thing. The second thing is, honestly, and we didn't talk about this enough, and I, I did want to bring it up, but, you know, I, I got carried away <laughs> rambling. But I have been very fortunate. Um, and that's how I, I, I met you. You know, it was through my hockey network. Mm -hmm. It was uh, a mutual friend, mm -hmm. right? So specifically like you can seek out people who will support you like I feel like we have each other's backs mm -hmm. for the most part in you know in, in our circles mm -hmm. I would say and and it's not to say that we're perfect you know um like I have absolutely absolutely I can specifically remember times where I have done more harm than good mm -hmm. but I have committed to changing and being better and and uh, like I'm never gonna you know I'm never I'm never going to gloss over that or pretend I didn't. I know that. And I know that like, it's, it's hard to sort of, it's hard to know where to go, but it, the community kind of self-selects fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I, I know this person because all of my friends follow that person and we have the same sort of, we're like-minded about inclusivity. We might, we might have different opinions on the sport. We might have different opinions on our teams. Like I'm never going to like the Buffalo Sabres. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. But, I mean, me either at you this know point. What I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but we have each other's backs mm -hmm. and, and that's something that, you know, like I, I try to be available to people. I have been extremely busy lately, but I try to be available to people where if you reach out, and you ask a question, um, you know, I try to, I try to at least, you know, get back to you at some point, um, and, and things like that. Like, don't, don't be afraid to just, you know, get in there and start talking to people. Don't be afraid to, to express yourself and do it confidently. And the other thing that I will say is, is that also, you also like, you need to, read and watch and listen to whatever you can get your hands on because when you're first trying to become a hockey fan it's so hard like there's overwhelming amounts of crap and 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 um in the discourse I would say uh that oftentimes like you need to look to non-traditional sources and, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I would be on message boards, like reading every every opinion out there back when the the mainstream media was just sort of spitting out hot takes. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how I discovered, um, you know, uh, stats and stuff was like I, I, I wanted to cut through the noise. Mm -hmm. And it becomes pretty clear, like when you first like try to get your hands on everything you can read and, and listen to and watch, like it becomes pretty clear really quickly which which ones are thought out, informed and analytical and which ones are just sort of clickbait and just yelling and shouting and, and, and just takes out there. And I always learn a lot more from the people that you can tell they did their homework. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's wonderful advice and you are wonderful. (laughs) And I so appreciate you coming on. Um, that was my last question. So do you want to tell people where they can find you and find the stuff you do? Well, first I want to say thank you for having me on. I was so excited when you asked, (laughs) I was so, so happy because I do listen and some of my favorite people have already been on and I'm so sure that I'm going to love whoever else uh, you have on in the coming weeks. But I'm just going to plug my Twitter. It's at The Active Stick. Uh, I post every single podcast we do on there, sometimes multiple times a day. If you want to follow the podcast, it's at LO underscore Canadians. And you can find us anywhere you can find this podcast. (laughs) Uh, and it's really fun. If you like the Canadians, we're five days a week, but now that it's the fake off season, as we've been calling it on our show, uh, we're doing a lot more stuff with a lot more people throughout, like through the hockey community. We're doing a little bit less specific to Habs games and more Habs history and, you know, just Habs fandom and also interviewing people from other fan bases. So it's going to be fun. And I encourage you guys to check it out. Yeah. I, I co-signed that. I'm not a Habs fan and I do occasionally listen to your episodes because they are fun (laughs) and funny and you guys bring just such a fun energy and you guys should check them out. Uh, Their podcast, just like our podcast, is available on Apple Podcast, Google, Stitcher, you know, really anywhere you can find your podcast. And Laura, thank you again so much. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much, Hannah. All right. And thank you guys for listening. Uh, Do me a favor and uh, please subscribe to this podcast if you have not subscribed yet. And if you have a second, which a lot of us seem to do these days, uh, rate us five stars uh, so more people can find us. And um, if you have a spare dollar or two, we do have a Patreon and all of your support is so, so appreciated. We're really trying to get this off the ground so that more women can be involved in hockey and see that they're not alone. So thank you so much for listening. And I'm Hannah. I will catch you guys in a couple weeks.